You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hey everyone, and welcome to the latest modified edition of the Mountain West Wire podcast. Uh, thanks for listening in, and uh, you can find us at mwwire.com. You can find a bunch of cool deals at mwcwire.com. Uh, let's see. You can also find us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Basically, if you Google Mountain West Wire, you're going to find us one way or another. Uh, and if you don't know me, I am Matthew Kennerly. Today, I am flying solo for a condensed version of what me and Jeremy Moss usually do. He was having some technical issues earlier in the week when we tried to record, so I decided to take it upon myself to try to run through these games by myself, so I apologize in advance for any potential and probable awkwardness. Um, You can find me, by the way, at at MattK underscore FS on Twitter as well. Uh, So I'm not going to waste a lot of time. I'm just going to jump right into the week six slate, and it's, you know, man, it's hard to believe it's already week six, right? Um... Friday night, 7 Mountain, 6 Pacific, the wagon wheels on the line between Utah State and BYU. I, I feel compelled to talk about this game more more than usual, if only because I I worry that Aggies fans are getting short shrift because we're recording and uploading this to Blog Talk Radio so late. But it's an interesting game because when you look at BYU, if you haven't paid attention to what they've done so far this year you could make a decent argument that they've kind of been a little bit lucky. And I say that because in the first three games that they played, you know, they at Arizona home versus Cal at Wisconsin, you know, the last one is obviously one of the bigger wins by any group of five team so far this year, but all three of those games were by one score. And in the last couple of weeks, they didn't look terribly impressive against McNeese state. Yeah. They won 30 to three, but it's McNeese state. And then last weekend, they got the doors blown off at at Washington. So, you know, I start by looking at, I'll start by looking at the BYU offense, just because, you know, they do have a couple of defined strengths, I think, that are going to be able to keep them in this game. One thing I look at is that quarterback Tanner Mangum, who he's been okay, all things considered. He owns a a 62% completion rate. He's only averaging 5.2 yards per attempt, though, which is shall we say, less than ideal. But what I want to talk about is the fact that they've done a pretty decent job of keeping him upright against some pretty good defenses. You know, he only has a sack rate right now, 3.5%. And that's going to be something to watch, especially when you consider that the Aggies on defense have a sack rate of almost 10%. They're in the top, they're in the top 20 nationally. And so, it's, and, you know, it's worth pointing out that it's not just one guy. Obviously, uh, Tipa Galea is the guy who kind of jumps off the stat sheet with four and a half sacks. But they have three or four guys who have at least one sack. And that's going to be something to keep an eye on, especially when you consider that the BYU offense as a whole is not terribly explosive, not terribly efficient either. If you're, if you're a listener to this podcast, you already know what I'm talking about, you know. 
go follow Bill Connolly, first of all, if you have, if you aren't already. Because one of the things that jumps out is the fact that by success rate, which is basically just you know 50% of yards you need on first down, 70% on second down, 100% on either third or fourth down. Right now, BYU ranks 80th by that metric nationally. And by explosiveness, they're even worse than that. They're one of the least explosive teams in the country. By ISO PPP, they rank 123rd. So when you consider that the Utah the Utah State defense is currently ninth in the latter metric, defensive explosiveness, you know, to me, it seems like BYU is going to need a game plan where they control the ball, kind of like what Air Force did last week. And, you know... I think maybe they have a chance to do it because they have a pretty decent, if not exciting, running game between Squally Canada and Lopini Katoa. They're both averaging right around five yards per carry. And, you know, if those guys are getting the lion's share of the work, they might have a chance. But, you know, one thing that Jeremy pointed out to me before both of our previous podcast attempts were lost, they are going to be without Maroni Laulu Pututau. And that's going to be a big deal because even though they have Matt Bushman, uh, Laulu Pujitao has been one of their most reliable pass catchers. You know, he's sporting about a 73% catch rate. He has 14 touchdowns on 120 uh, 120 yards, not interceptions. That would be a record. But, you know, when you look down the line at what what the BYU offense has to offer, you know, Aliva Hippo is a guy who could make plays through the air and on the ground, but he's only averaging 10 yards a catch. He's only you know, he's averaging 5.5 yards per per carry, but I suspect that that's going to be the kind of thing that Utah State could sniff out pretty quickly. And when you, when you look at the other side, when you look at this Utah State offense versus this BYU defense, you know, the one big thing, which is kind of the same issue that, you know, basically it's going to come down to, Utah State also does a very good job of keeping Jordan Love upright. And to me, it's kind of like, you know, is he going to go out and win this game like he did last week against Air Force? Because other than Corbin Kofusi, who has five tackles for loss and four sacks, they have nobody else on this team that's shown themselves to be a pass rushing threat at this point. So I have to think that if the Aggies can protect love and keep Kalfusi off of him in particular you know what else is BYU gonna offer to be able to shut these guys down one of the things that I notice is that by havoc rate which is basically just the percentage of plays with a tackle for loss a pass defense or a forced fumble basically anything disruptive BYU ranks dead last nationally that is a very good sign for pretty much any Utah State receiver that they're gonna throw out there I would not be surprised if Dax Raymond has a very big game and kind of retakes the lead in the conversation about the the Mountain West's best tight end. But, I mean, you look at what Utah State does on offense, and Jordan Love has been efficient. He's created a lot of explosive plays. You know, BYU's been okay about generating tackles for loss and things like that, but I would expect Gerald Bright and Darwin Thompson to be nearly as good, if not as good, as they've looked in the past few weeks. And, you know, one thing that I think is going to make a big difference, especially early in this game, is we already know that Utah State's going to push the tempo. And that's not really something that BYU has faced a lot of this year. If you go back and look at most of their games, you know, Bill Connolly has this metric called adjusted pace. 
And you start Utah State ranks eighth, and that's a huge disparity with other guy other teams that that BYU has played so far, like Washington in Wisconsin, for instance, don't even rank in the top 100 by that same measure. Do we already know that Utah State's going to be go, 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 and they're going to push the tempo. And if they get a lead, watch out, because I don't think that BYU has the weapons to keep up with them. And, you know, maybe that can be my sort of awkward segue to giving my official prediction for this game. It's been kind of interesting to watch the line for this game because it was two and a half you know, BYU minus two and a half all week. And now here on Friday afternoon, it's officially a pick, which is kind of shocking. But to me, this does not seem like a particularly difficult choice. I think that Utah State is, you know, even if they aren't 100% of the offense that they've been in the last few weeks, they're still a good enough attack, especially through the air, to be able to keep BYU at bay. So, I, I really don't think this is going to be a very good evening for BYU. I do think that the Aggies will be able to win the wagon wheel. And I believe I had this at 38-17 to 17 the first couple times I recorded. And so I'm going to stick with that prediction. I like Utah State winning big and kind of keeping what they've done rolling. All right, so next up. Another rivalry game, oddly enough. This is a big week for rivalries, which is pretty cool. We got the first leg of the uh, Commander-in-Chief's Trophy between Navy and Air Force on Saturday afternoon, 1.30 Mountain Time, 12.30 Pacific on CBS Sports Network. And, you know, honestly, I feel like we need to have a discussion about what's going on with the Air Force Falcons because, I mean, I've, I've probably watched more than a lot of people out there, and the Falcons just do not look like themselves right now. And it's really been tough to watch because we know what kind of offense the Falcons like to run, and they just haven't been very good at doing it. You know, one of the thing that they, they do is they need to be efficient. And so going back to the success rate metric from earlier, the one big thing that stands out among, you know, this year's Air Force team is that right now they rank 104th nationally in success rate. You know, just put it another way, right now in the conference, or they're uh, I think dead last, or no, excuse me, they're 10th in the conference. Still pretty bad. Very uncharacteristic in yards per carry. They're only averaging 3.85 yards per carry. And, you know, to make matters worse, you know, we don't know who their quarterback is going to be. And I think that that makes a difference when you consider that, you know, none of those guys have been very good so far this year. They, they haven't been the kind of operator that this running game really needs someone to be. And to to kind of better dive into that, you know, when you look at Isaiah Sanders, like he has the leg up as far as passing numbers are concerned. You know, he has a slightly better sack rate than Arian Worthman. He has a much better completion rate than Arian Worthman. But he is only averaging three yards per carry right now. Arian Worthman's only averaging 3.8 yards per carry. And Donald Hammond, who we saw a lot of during the second half last week against Nevada, I think he was right around four. But, you know, those three guys combined, I, I, I think it's a step in the right direction that the quarterback is having to do less of the, uh, having to carry less of the running load than Worthman had to carry by himself last year. But they just aren't getting the same amount of efficiency. But it's not just him. You know, at this point, Colt Fagan's only averaging 3.6 yards per carry out of the fullback position. 
and Caden Remsburg after a pretty successful debut a couple weeks ago against Utah State, he didn't really do much in the first half until it was too late. You know, he's averaging five and a half yards per carry, but he's been kind of hit and miss. And so against a Navy team that we know they're going to do a lot of similar things, you know, but one of those guys is going to have to be as good as Malcolm Perry has been so far in 2018 because he is a guy who right now is averaging about seven yards per carry. That is really, really significant, especially when you consider that he is carrying a huge amount of the workload for the midshipmen. I think the best thing you could say about Air Force and their chances in this game is that despite all of the defensive struggles, there are a couple of silver linings that you can look at and say, if they can keep doing this, they're going to have a chance in this game. One of those things is stuff, right? which is basically just the percentage of plays stopped at or behind the line of scrimmage. Right now, on defense, Air Force ranks 7th in stuff rate on defense. That is pretty significant, especially when you consider you know, Navy, obviously, they're going to run the ball, and then they're going to run the ball some more, and then they're going to run it again and again and again and again. And not only with Perry, but you know with the other guys in the backfield, Nelson Smith, you know, C.J. Williams, Garrett Lewis, or actually, Garrett Lewis is the backup quarterback, but he might actually see some time. You never know with this. <laughs> but, you know, those big three, Perry, Smith, and Williams, each of those guys is averaging at least six yards a carry. So at some point, Air Force is going to have to figure out how to slow them down. And, you know, it's it's a nice thing that you can say that, you know, they've, they've been able to rack up a lot of TFLs across the board. Lakota Wills leads the team with three. But relative to a lot of other defenses, they've been able to, you know, spread the wealth around pretty substantially. You know, Jordan Jackson has a couple tackles for loss. So does Cody Gessler. So does Kyle Johnson. So does R.J. Jackson. So pretty much everybody in the Air Force front seven has been getting into the mix as far as being able to put themselves in positions to succeed on second and third down. And then the other thing that you can point to if you're an Air Force fan is that as far as third and short is concerned, they've done a pretty good job of defending in those situations. The success rate for the defense on third and short ranks in the just in the top 20, or excuse me, just outside the top 25. They've been successful 60% of the time. And so I think we kind of know how this game is going to unfold, though, because... I just, I'm the kind of person where Air Force has got to show me something before I really believe in them. And so I really don't see a way for them to be able to keep up with Navy. I have the midshipmen winning this game, getting the upper hand for the Commander in Chief's trophy. Uh, I should probably give the odds while I'm thinking about it. Right now, the line is still Navy minus three. I think it's going to be a little bit more substantial than that. I'm going to say midshipmen. 31 Air Force 17. All right, so that that uh, 12:30-1:30 hour does they've got a lot of rivalry games at that time. This one doesn't have a trophy, but maybe it should with the way these two teams have played in recent years. San Diego State at Boise State on ESPNU. This is going to be a very interesting matchup to watch for a number of reasons. 
you know, one, it kind of surprises me that San Diego State is, you know, the line opened at 15 and a half in favor of Boise. It drops to 14, but it seems a little bit high to me. Not not too high, but a little high. And one of the big things that I think is going to change from last year's game to this year's is there were a couple of things that Boise State did where they might come close to repeating what they were able to do, but they aren't going to be able to do exactly the same thing. And if you remember last year's blowout, because yeah, it was a blowout, one thing you might not be aware of, if you go back to last year's stat profiles, San Diego State had a 12% success rate when they ran the football. And, you know, we know it's no secret that running the football is their bread and butter, but Boise State was just dominant at being able to take them out of their game to an extent that no one else that year was really able to do. And so... Asking the Broncos defense for as good as they've been, and let's not let's not beat around the bush. The front seven has still been very good. You know, I don't I don't know if they're going to be able to be able to match that. But you know, the Broncos defense is still one that's giving up less than four yards a carry, and especially when you consider that, you know, life without Juwan Washington, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like for the Aztecs. I personally have a pretty good feeling about Chase Jasmine stepping into the RB1 spot, but I think what's going to be really critical for the Aztecs in this game is how well do the next guys up do. And we already know that they haven't had a lot of game experience, but I think either Kagan Williams or Chance Bell or both, both of those guys are redshirt freshmen, they're going to have to do something. If they could be 80% of what Jasmine has been so far this year, which to put it in context, he's actually been pretty good on a per carry basis. He's actually been slightly better than Washington. He's averaging 5.4 yards per carry. And by highlight yards per opportunity, which is basically just, you know, how many yards are you getting after the offensive line does its job for the first five yards? That number is slightly better than Washington's too. It's 5.9 to 5.7. And that's not nothing against this Boise State defense. And of course, it might not matter if they can't keep Ryan Agnew upright. You know, he's he's been okay. Like, he's, his sack rate's been significantly better than Christian Chapman's before he got hurt. It's down to 7.4%. But with the, the talent that Boise State has, and especially with the performance that they put on last week at Wyoming, that, you know, is going to be something to watch. Because even if they... Even if the running game does its job and puts the passing game, puts the rest of the offense in a position to succeed, you know, are they going to be able to take advantage of that? And even then, it might not matter that much just because, you know, if San Diego State's defense can't keep up, you know, that's not going to matter. And one of the things that's been really startling to me as far as when because when you think of the Aztecs you normally think of like a very good secondary and you know on the one hand they've been really good as far as success rate is concerned they rank 22nd nationally by defensive success rate but they have given up a lot more big plays especially through the air than we've been accustomed to in the last few years you know by overall explosiveness they rank 91st and a lot of that has to do with how they've done against the pass you know, by by stuff rate, they're just outside the top twenty-five. That's that's a running statistic. You know, by d- defensive opportunity rate, they're sixth nationally. That's mostly how you do against the run. 
you know, but, you know, Bill Connolly's new and improved stat profiles have these metrics, you know, and one of the things that startles me is, you know, the Aztecs are allowing opponents to complete over 65% of their passes. That is 115th in the country. And their marginal explosiveness is 109th. So if Brett Rippon can go out and play the way that he has over the first month plus of this year, that could be a long afternoon for the Aztecs if they're not careful, especially since, you know, it seems like Boise State has had a different guy stepping up every week. You know, one week it's been Sean Monster. You know, it, AJ Richardson's had some big catches. John Hightower seems to have a big catch once every once every week or so. And this is by far the Mountain West's best passing attack. You know, they are tied for first with in yards per attempt, which is with a team that we'll talk about in a little bit. They lead in passer rating. They are second in completion rate. It's just been, they've been dominant through the air. And if the defenders can't get it together, you know, that <laughs> that's going to put the offense in a position that they don't want to be in where they're going to have to throw to catch up. I think if you were an Aztecs fan, though, one thing you watch out for is that the, the DBs by Havoc rate have been right around the top 20. You know, they have broken up a lot of passes. You know, Kyrie Woods has four pass breakups. Tariq Thompson has a couple. And, you know, pretty much everybody who plays in the secondary has at least one. That is something to hang your hat on. Because, you know, if they can win the turnover battle, which, of course, is easier said than done, considering Brett Ribbon hasn't even thrown an interception so far this year, that is something that can give them a chance. But it's no guarantee. I think the Aztecs will be able to put up a fight in this one. Um, I do expect them to cover plus 14, but I I kind of think it's the game where Boise State gets out to an early lead, you know, let's say 21 to 7 or something like that early in the first half, and then they kind of just keep the Aztecs at bay after that. So I do think Boise State's going to win outright, let's say 31 to 20 in favor of the Broncos. And then a half hour later at uh, – Two Mountain Time, one Pacific. We got New Mexico and UNLV over on AT&T Sportsnet. That is kind of an under-the-radar game for very different reasons than a lot of other games on the schedule. And maybe the line for this game tells the story. It opened at 13. Right now on on Friday afternoon, it has dropped to 8.5. And I think the driving factor for that is the fact that this is a battle of backup quarterbacks. Sharon Jones is going to be starting for the Lobos. Max Gilliam is going to be under center for the Rebels. And question mark? I mean, I don't I don't know what this game is going to look like because, you know, maybe I'll just start with UNLV because we we know that Armani Rogers, we know what he's brought to the table. It's been pretty obvious. He is very much a key factor in one of the nation's best running backs by both efficiency and explosiveness you know you get him out in space running for over nine yards of carry you've got lexington thomas xavier campbell charles williams each averaging about five and a half yards per carry or better you know there's a reason they, they rank 10th by efficiency and 12th by explosiveness on the ground but you also know what he's done as a passer too and that is you know he had <laughs> his sporting a completion rate that is dead last in the country that is sporting a sack rate that ranks 124th at 11.7%. 
and that is a passing game with efficiency explosiveness of its own that ranks in the triple digits. So I think if you're New Mexico, there's hope that you can kind of rebound from last week's disaster, especially early on in that game against Liberty. I think they've got a chance to do a little bit of what they did against Mexico State a couple weeks ago. But I think it's going to come down to if they can you know, get their hands on the football. I, I would not be surprised if UNLV comes out and runs and runs and runs some more. But you know, I think at some point, if New Mexico can force them to pass, one thing to keep an eye on, Lobos, surprisingly, ranked ninth by defensive back havoc rate. So those guys back there have been doing maybe a little more work than you'd expect. You know, D'Angelo Ross has three pass breakups. Jalen Burrell has two. And, you know, if you look at UNLV's receivers, like you've seen that they, they do have some explosiveness. You know, each of the three between Darren Woods Jr., Brandon Presley, or excuse me, Makai Stevenson and Kendall Keyes is averaging 15 and a half yards per catch. But this is this is one of my favorite fun facts that I came across when I was preparing for this story. No UNLV receiver has 100 yards on the season so far this year. Even Air Force has a 100-yard receiver in Marcus Bennett. But, you know, I think at some point maybe they are going to want to throw the ball with Jillian to be a little more balanced because UNLV has been one of the most run-heavy teams in the country so far this year. But if New Mexico can take them out of their game, big if. But if they can do it, they've got a chance. And the other big thing is just avoiding the big turnover, you know, because that was the thing that really killed them last week against uh, against Liberty and paid huge dividends against New Mexico State. They were plus five or five interceptions against the Aggies. And, you know, Sharon Jones has been, you know, pretty decent. You know, he and, and Tabaka Tuioti before he was knocked out for the rest of the year with a broken clavicle. I mentioned earlier that Boise State's tied for first in yards per attempt. New Mexico is the other team tied for first in yards per attempt. You know, they're actually in the top four as far as overall passer rating as a team. So you can say, you can make a, a, a decent argument that the hashtag Throbos with no W has been better than it has been in a few years. But we saw what happened when New Mexico tried to make a comeback against Wisconsin. And we saw what happened when they got buried last week against Liberty. It's because they have 11 touchdowns through the air, but they also have eight interceptions. So Jones is going to have to avoid that critical play, especially since UNLV has been one of the better teams in the country as far as closing out drives. You know, they've benefited from really good field position on the, on the whole, their top 30 in the uh, in the country and they're averaging almost five points per scoring opportunity which is basically just every trip inside the 40. UNLV knows how to close drives and they've got the horses especially on the ground to do it so it's going to be tough I think it's going to be a sneaky good game but I kind of think that this is a situation where UNLV get ends up with a backdoor cover with a late field goal or a late touchdown or something so I think it's going to be a back and forth battle but I do have the Rebels covering eight and a half in this one, and I have them winning 30 to 20. And then you've got, uh, let's see, a little bit of a long wait for the the, the nightcaps, if you will, uh, starting off at 8.30 Mountain Time, 7.30 Pacific with uh, Colorado State and San Jose State. 
<laughs> I don't know who's going to be watching this game, but if you want to, it's going to be on CBS Sports Network. Um, oh, man, where do you even start talking about this game? I think, <laughs> I mean, you have to kind of start with what's Colorado State going to do under center? Because when I checked yesterday, it still wasn't clear whether they were going to turn to Colin Hill or whether they were going to, whether they were going to stick with KJ Carter Samuels. I'm of the opinion that KJCS sounds like it should be a radio station. I don't think he's the problem. You know, he's completing 63% of his passes. You know, his sack rate is slightly better than Colin Hill's, even in limited playing time. Small sample caveat supply. And, you know, we like we know that he knows how to get the ball to his leading receivers. Preston Johnson has 71 targets. Nobody else on the team has more than 39 you know, between Williams and OBC Johnson, that's 110 targets right there. So he's feeding the right guys. But, you know, the running game, I think, has been a real letdown for the Rams. Izzy Matthews, who, you know, maybe he's the biggest disappointment from a preseason top 50. He's only averaging 3.4 yards per carry so far. He's only averaging 3.3 highlight yards per opportunity. He only has one touchdown. I think that might be the most surprising thing because he's been such a, a proficient touchdown scorer over the last couple of years. And, you know, they're going to have a chance, I think, against a San Jose State defense that's been better. You know, they, they do have some strengths. You know, for instance, they do rank above the national average as far as preventing explosive plays. And, you know, they've done an adequate job of defending against the run. You know, they're just outside the top 50 about in, in stuff rate. And the guys up front have started to come around a little bit for them. You know, obviously we saw Boogie Roberts score a touchdown last week against Hawaii. But, you know, he's got four tackles for loss. Bryson Bridges next to him is five tackles for loss. So it's a defense that has been, I, I guess I'll say pesky. Is I think that's probably the right word for the, for the Spartans at this point. But they do have some problems as well. You know, if if Colorado State can tilt the field position in its favor, you know, San Jose State, you know, and some of this comes down to, to turnovers, but they rank dead last as far as where their defense is starting with the average field position. Opponents are starting at their own, at the 36-yard line against San Jose State this year. That's pretty significant. And even though... Colorado State has struggled itself as far as, you know, uh, efficiency is concerned. They're only 92nd in the country on offense. You know, the, you've been able to move the ball against San Jose State more often than not. They rank 104th on defense, and they've been even worse on offense, 128th. So this is an opportunity for the Rams who they've, they've yet to put together a complete 60 minutes on offense. We've seen what they can do when things are rolling. Like we, we saw them in, in the second half against Hawaii rally. We saw them rally against Arkansas, but then they were basically just non-existent against Florida. And then, I mean, let's be real. They crapped the bed against Illinois State a couple weeks ago. And then conversely, the defense just has to do something because when you go and look at Bill Connolly's stat profile, it's just ugly all around. You know, <laughs> 123rd by efficiency, 101st by explosiveness, and they've been even worse than the Spartans as far as points per trip inside the 40. They've allowed 5.29 points per trip. And 
San Jose State on offense has improved pretty steadily from week to week a little bit. Like we saw Josh Love blow up against Hawaii a week ago. You know, his efficiency maybe isn't where you want it to be. You know, he's only completing 52.3% of his passes, but we saw when he has a hot hand, you got to watch out for this offense. I think what's going to hurt the Spartans, kind of turning things on, on on the other side, is not only are they down Tyler Nevins now, but they're also down Bailey Gaither, who might be their biggest, you know, ex- most explosive weapon. You know, now in the, in the if you look at the depth chart, they have Justin Holmes, Ty Cottrell, and Jaquan Blackwell listed in the starting lineup. And, you know, all of those guys are fine, but none of them have been quite as good as Gaither. Gaither is averaging 20 yards a catch. You know, he's kind of a 50-50 guy. He had 31 targets, 16 catches. But there's no doubt that that's a big loss for San Jose State. And you, as much as they might want to, they can't give all the work to Josh Oliver, who leads the team in targets, leads the team in catches, leads the team in catch rate. You know, he's the only guy above 60% or even 57% among any of the guys who have at least a dozen targets. So they're going to have to figure something out through the air. But against this... Colorado State defense that's been very hit or miss as far as making because we've seen them make individual big plays. You know, VJ Banks, you could say he's been having a nice year. He has a couple of interceptions. But man, it's it's gonna be a very weird game to watch, I think. I think it's gonna be a game where both offenses struggle a little bit to move the ball consistently. It could be a game that's marked by explosive plays perhaps more so than any other game this weekend. It could go in a lot of different directions, honestly, which maybe uh, is a nice segue toward my prediction for this game. It started at two and a half this week in favor of Colorado State. It stayed at two and a half. Ah, man. I mean, if Bailey Gither had been there, if Tyler Nevins was healthy, I would have been really tempted to pick the Spartans in this game. But... I think it's pretty safe to say that Colorado State's going to have the best quarterback in this game. They're going to have the best receiver. And for as solid as the Spartans have been defending against the pass, which you know they have been, they have a lot of pass breakups among the guys in their secondary. Trey Webb has five pass breakups. So does John Toussaint. Dakari Monroe has six and a couple of interceptions. But this seems like the kind of game where either Williams or Johnson is going to get loose and that is ultimately going to be the difference in this game. So I like Colorado State to kind of win ugly, shall we say. Um, but And I'm also taking them to cover two and a half. I'm going to say Colorado State 24, San Jose State 21. All right, and then also at 8.30, Pacific, excuse me, 8.30 Mountain Time, 7.30 Pacific on ESPNU, if you don't feel like watching Rams Spartans, Fresno State and Nevada. Also a very interesting game, maybe maybe a, a grim-looking outcome if you're a Nevada fan, uh, because Ty Ganji's status as of earlier this week was up in the air. I still don't know if his status has been confirmed one way or the other, but I think that when you look at this Nevada offense, it's going to miss something if Ganji can't go for them. Because it's kind of an open question of, okay, well, how explosive can this offense be if it's 
Christian Solano under center. Because we've, we've seen them do good things. Like, they're one of the most explosive offenses in the country. They rank 13th by ISO PPP, which has kind of allowed them to outrun what's been a pretty average success rate. You know, this team is all about big plays on the air and on the ground, which makes it a very interesting matchup for a Fresno State defense where, you know, you might have had some questions about how they handled Toledo's offense last week. And if you didn't watch that game, the Bulldogs beat the daylights out of the Rockets. You know, this this is a team that is looking more and more like it's going to be led by the defense, even if the offense, which we'll get to in a moment, has taken a step forward. Ninth by success rate on defense, 24th by explosiveness. And, you know, one of the things that I'm really interested in watching out for in this game is, are they going to be able to get to whoever's under center? Because I think that the defensive line for Fresno State, which was one of their biggest questions coming into the year, is starting to come around. You know, Michael Walker had a very big game last week. He's up to five tackles for loss, two sacks on the air. And, oh, by the way, he had a pick six last weekend. He and Jashad Haynes and Kevin Atkins and all the rest of those guys along the defensive line, I think they're starting to come into their own. And that is going to pose problems. You know, by Havoc rate, the defensive line ranks 22nd. And, you know, that is going to be a really good matchup because Nevada's offensive line has been very good in all, by a lot of measures. You know, by you know, they've done a really good job of keeping Ganji upright. Even if he has taken a lot of licks, he only owns a sack rate of about 2%. That is in the top 20 nationally. You know, Toa Tawa has been a terror between the tackles. Maybe that should be his nickname or something. He's averaging 7.5 yards per carry. He's up to over 10 highlight yards per opportunity. So they're basically churning out big plays left and right. But if Solano was under center, you know, is he going to be able to get the ball to McLean Mannix and, and Caleb Fossum and Romeo Dobbs in the same way? Because those guys are they've been super aggressive as far as yards per target. It's nearly 10 yards through the air for both of those guys. And when you look at Fresno State's offense versus the Nevada defense, I think one thing, I think what this game is going to hinge on is how much of last week's gains against Air Force is the Wolfpack going to be able to hold on to? Because the thing that they really struggled with in, in non-conference play was being you know, too much of a bend-but-don't-break defense. They gave up a lot of big plays against teams like Vanderbilt and Oregon State. Even if they were being, you know, more disruptive than a lot of previous Nevada teams have been, you know, like right now, for instance, they rank 29th in havoc rate. You know, they are generating a lot of big plays on defense. They're in the top 40 as far as sack rate, and it's not just Malik Reed either. Reed is obviously the headliner. You know, he's got seven tackles for loss, three sacks, six run stuffs, but they're getting contributions from a lot of people. They are number one in the conference right now as far as tackles for loss as a unit. And it's not just the guys up front. You know, Gabe Sewell, he's a linebacker. He has three and a half tackles for loss. Asani Rufus has played very well in his return from injury. He has three and a half tackles for loss. Corey Rush, he might be the one guy in the conference that we almost never talk about year after year 
but he's just been very quietly consistent for who even knows how long. He has six and a half tackles for loss. He has three sacks. He has as many sacks as Malik Reed does. So Fresno State has done a very good job of you know, being able to keep McMarion upright. They've done a pretty good job of being an efficient running game in the same way that they were last year. But, you know, if those guys can get home, you know, we've seen Fresno State take care of the football for the most part. But if Nevada can create opportunities like they have in past weeks, like we, we saw them kind of get away with the, a couple of long opponents' drives against Vanderbilt, for instance. But if they can create turnovers and keep Fresno State off the board, they've got a chance to do something. And I mean, it doesn't seem like uh, a lot of people are giving them a chance. You know, the line for this game opened Fresno State minus 12. It has currently moved to minus 15. And I suppose I wouldn't be too shocked if it moved a little bit more before kickoff. I think Nevada's going to be able to make some noise in this game. I, I think even if Yanji isn't able to go, they're still going to be able to create some plays. But, I mean, we saw Fresno State's defense last week show up and look like and look like one of the best defenses in the group of five. So I kind of expect them, even if they're knocked back on their heels early last, like they were last week against Toledo, I think they're going to be able to respond. I think they're going to be able to put the clamps down on Toa Tawa. And, you know, while I think I would take Nevada to cover plus 15, Fresno State's going to win this game pretty comfortably. So I'm going to say that the Bulldogs win 38 to 27. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. And that actually covers 15. So we'll go with that. 38 27. All right. And then the last game of the night, which doesn't kick off until 10 p.m. Mountain Time, uh, 9 p.m. Pacific. And I believe that would make it 6 p.m. Hawaii time at this point. Uh, on Spectrum Sports uh, over on the islands. If you're trying to watch this game on the mainland, uh, be sure to check out our How to Watch article between Hawaii and Wyoming uh, because you will be able to watch this game on the stadium app. So be sure to find the link in our previews. Um, Another really interesting game with another really interesting line and, of course, Jeremy's favorite Mountain West uh, rivalry trophy, the Paniello Trophy. This game opened at minus three and a half for Hawaii. It hasn't moved all that much to minus three, but it's really interesting that Vegas sees these teams as even because my first question is, why? And I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that Wyoming has really struggled defending the pass a lot more than I think we would have expected them to. Like, they've been okay as far as you know they're right around the national average as far as you know pass defense efficiency pass defense explosiveness but you know like we talked about earlier with san diego state they're allowing a completion rate of 65.8 percent that's 119th in the country and you know their overall sack rate which you would have expected them to come in and be world beaters this year right now their sack rate is only 3.7%. 3.7%. That's 111th in the country. Garrett Kroll is the only guy with more than one sack so far this year. Johanna Gaifan has only one sack. You know, Sydney Malaulu only has one sack. 
Carl Granderson only has one sack. The guys that we expected to be big-time performers, like they've been racking up TFLs to their credit. You know, they're right around the top 50 as a unit, uh, the defensive line, and an overall havoc rate. But they just haven't been getting to the quarterback. And against a Hawaii offense that has, you know, they've done a very good job of giving Cole McDonald time to sit back and, and scan and make his reads. You know, even though the defense hasn't given up that many big plays relative to the national average, you know, when you give up enough, it still adds up. And I'm looking at Cole McDonald and I'm looking at his, you know, nearly eight yards per attempt, his 13 and a half yards per completion. And I'm thinking like this is could easily be another game where John Ursua or Cedric Bird has another big game. You know, we, we probably haven't given enough credit to John Ursua for what he's been able to do over the last season. Plus, if you aren't paying attention, he already has 12 touchdowns this year. And oh, by the way, he has averaged almost 15 and a half yards per catch. And oh, by the way, he has 50 catches. It's really been remarkable to watch him play football. So if you if you download the stadium app for nothing more than that, just to do it because it's appointment television. But, you know, obviously Wyoming still has the talent. That hasn't gone anywhere. But this is a really big opportunity for them to bounce back. And I guess, I guess the best way to put it would be to, to reestablish their bona fides, get to the quarterback, defend passes, create turnovers, which by the way, Wyoming has done kind of an okay job of creating turnovers. They're plus two. But of course, that's a far cry from what they were able to do last year when they led the nation in turnover margin, led the nation in takeaways. I think if there's an argument to be made that these teams are even, it's probably because Hawaii's defense has charitably been shaky more shaky more often than not you know the defense i i, I tweet out every week about the the updated s p plus rankings and it's really telling that there's probably no no bigger disparity between offense and defensive s p plus in the conference than hawaii by offense their overall rank is 32nd which is about what you were expected to be with all with all the big plays that they're creating on defense though they're 124th. And so when you look at the whole picture and, you're, and you ever wonder, well, why is Hawaii only 98th in S&P Plus rank? The defense is the biggest reason why. Because even though Wyoming hasn't really been able to create a lot of big plays on offense, Hawaii hasn't really been able to stop those big plays either. And we've seen you know, what they can do even when they're down. Like we saw Nico Evans come back and have a 75-yard run last week. Don't be surprised if Nico Evans gets the ball a lot, if he gets 20 carries and he ends up with close to 200 yards because, you know, Hawaii's been, you know, the front seven has been pretty tough and their linebackers have quietly been pretty good this year. Like we all know about Jelani Tavai, but, you know, Solomon Mataitua is having a pretty good year next to him. Those guys are just racking up the tackles left and right. They have three forced fumbles between them. So it's going to be a really interesting test. But I think ultimately what it's going to come down to is can they defend, can Hawaii defend against the pass? Because if there's one Achilles heel to this defense, it's been that. Because they're near the bottom of the country as far as defensive backs havoc rate, only 4%, 121st. And, you know, they've done a good job of creating sacks. They've done a good job of creating pressure. 
but they've given up a lot of big plays through the air. So we've seen Tyler Vanderwall be mostly hit and miss this year. This is a really good time for him to break out. This is a really good time for someone like James Price, who's been, you know, a little bit like he's been a little bit like a 50 50 wide receiver. He has a catch rate of 42%, but he's averaging 22 yards a catch. If he can go out and have a game where he's, you know, three catches, 80 yards and a score, that could be huge. You know, this could be an opportunity for the tight ends to step up. We haven't really heard much from Tyree Mayfield and Josh Harshman this year. But, you know, they have been fairly reliable. And so I think that there are opportunities for Wyoming to move the ball. And if they can create big plays, you know, if they can get out early especially, you know, even though Hawaii has a very dynamic passing game, that I think is the best way that they can give themselves a chance to win this game. As for my prediction, though, um, I I mean, I, I kind of feel about Wyoming the same way that I feel about Air Force. You know, the offense has a chance in this game, but I'm still of the opinion that, like the Falcons, the Cowboys have got to show me something consistent on offense before I can pick them to win this game. So I think Hawaii is definitely going to give up a lot of yards. I think they're going to give up a lot of points because that's kind of been their MO all season long. But I do think that the offense is going to be able to do enough to move the ball against against what's been a pretty disappointing pass defense. So it's going to be a wild one. Stay up late. Get your rock stars. Get your late night coffees or whatever's going to keep you up. I think Hawaii is going to pull this one out. So I'm going to say 42 to 31. And I think that does that about does it. I've taken a lot longer. I've actually gone 50 minutes on my own. How remarkable is that? Uh, so I will go ahead and wrap this up. Thank you for listening to me ramble by myself for 50 minutes. Um, be sure to rate and review us on your podcasting platform of choice. iTunes, Pocket Casts. Follow us on Blog Talk Radio if you're into that kind of thing. Um, See if we can get on Spotify at some point. I think they're still taking podcast applications or something like that. Um, And then be sure to read up all of our articles. We've got a lot of good stuff all across the board from pretty much all of our writers. Uh, We're going to have a week six, a very good week six, with a lot of very good rivalries. And hopefully... Fingers crossed. Jeremy will have his tech issues sorted out by the time we record our recap podcast on Sunday. So until then, take it easy. Enjoy the weekend. And uh, we will uh, you will hear from us soon.